Father, we just thank you, we just praise you, we just worship you. We glorify you, Lord. You have magnified your word above all your name. Therefore, this morning, once again, we lift your word up. Be magnified, Lord. Let your word go forth. For the entrance of your word brings not just light, it also brings life. We have come for both light and life, Lord. Your word is the light. The only light that can show us a way in this darkness that is enveloping this world, Lord. Only your word can show the way out. It's not a way of escape. It's a way of victory. Of triumph. And glory to the living God. So teach us, Lord. Teach us your way. Show us your paths. And empower us through your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we are looking at the book of Judges and we were in chapter 4 and verse 1. We saw when Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's the way the narrative always. And that's the way you see Israel going down, the church going down, the individual going down, a family going down. When the word of God stops speaking to us, then we start doing things our own way. And the oppression could last. God hands us over and the oppression could last. And the only way is turning back to God with all our heart. God doesn't want to give us partial deliverance. God wants to give us complete deliverance. And the only way back is going, turning back to God. And he has shown us a way. The way is Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit has come to teach us his ways, how to walk in that way, how to empower. And we were looking yesterday at Deborah. We were looking at Deborah because Deborah is important, especially in these days. Deborah is important because this absolute confusion, and confusion has been passed as law now. Confusion, the Equality Act that was that hasn't reached the president's table, but Equality Act actually says, if you do not call a person by whichever gender they choose that day, it could be illegal. Okay, so there's total confusion, total confusion. And what's the way out? The way out for the church. The, church, the confusion got into the church. That's why it got into the world. Because it got into the Christian world. Because it got into the churches first. This gender confusion has not been made law in any pagan nation. It's all the fall happens in Christian nations. So the way back is way back is going back to God. And it has to start with the individual. It has to start in the homes. And it has to start with the churches. Otherwise, there is no, otherwise we are part of that law. Okay, it has been part of the law. Okay, who fought for abortion rights? It's not pagan nations, not Gentile women. They never fought for it. It's the Christian women. It was made into law. Okay, and now, it is being made into a law to the point that whether you believe it or not, your tax dollars will be spent in aborting the babies so that everybody's hand is covered in 
blood. Okay, so you need to understand what we are talking about. And there is no confusion. There is no confusion. In the beginning it says God made them male and female. Okay, but there is order. It's nothing talking about inferiority or anything, but it's talking about order. God and the Son and the Spirit are equal, but there is order. So unless we come back to the order, doesn't matter what the government says or the nation stays. It's a church that has been called to be the light to the world. Okay, so God created only two genders. The Democrats created the rest. Okay, and uh, but there is order even in that this thing, and you will see Deborah is the order. Okay, Deborah is an order. She's a wife, she's a mother, and she's a prophetess. Okay, that's the order. She's a wife, she's a mother, and she's a prophetess. The opposite of it is Revelation 2.20. That is Jezebel. Okay. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allowed that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. She also calls herself a prophetess. But what does she do? She, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things of sacrifice to idols. What does she do? She takes you back to the world. She brings the world in. Okay, she, the two ways Jezebel works. Jezebel will either, like I said, there are two ditches on this narrow path Jesus has given. One is the law and the other is the world. Okay, what Jezebel will come and either will t- take you back to the law. Okay, now remember, you were, before you and I were saved, we were married to the law. We died to the law. And we now married to Jesus Christ. So if you go back to the law, we are committing sexual immorality. Okay, it is adultery. Second, we were saved from the world. If we go back to the world, James says, you adulterers and adulterers. So this is what, if you look at one of the large, no, not very large, but large denominations, you will see it is called uh, Seventh-day Adventists. I'm not saying all their teachings are wrong, but they are very Mosaic law. To the point they will say that if you don't keep the Saturday as Sabbath, you will not even go to heaven. Okay, And it was started by a woman called Ellen G. White. Okay, and what did she do? Her teaching took one huge chunk of Christians into the law. Into the law. I'm not saying false teachers are women. I'm not saying actually Paul wants of false teachers who are men. But this is a spirit we have to be very careful about. We can be very, very careful about. So you have Deborah over there and you have Jezebel over there and we have to be very, very careful about, you know, who we are. Okay, and you will see Barak will go ultimately and fight. So what are men called to do? Men are not to call to fight women. Men are called to fight for women. That's what Nehemiah says. Remember what you are fighting for. You are fighting for your homes, your wives, your children. But today what happens is when the enemy comes in, he brings his gender clash. He brings racial division. He brings class warfare. An ideology is behind that. At the end of it, if you have noticed, the ones who always suffer are the women and the children. They suffer. Because they are the weak ones. They are the ones who are the most most vulnerable is the unborn baby. The helpless ones. They are the ones who suffer most. They are not even allowed to come out. And in their millions, they are killed. Then the little ones, they are abused and all the Pedophiles and the children, they are abused. And the next is the women. This is the way. Actually, if you look at it, the ones who go through without any issues is usually the man. (laughs) 
Like I said yesterday, the transgender bill, who does it affect? Only the women. It doesn't affect any men's sports. It doesn't affect, I mean, if you honestly, if you act an average man on the street, do you have a problem if a woman who thinks she's a man comes to a male's bathroom, he will say, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> you are welcome. We have no issues. But if you ask the other way around, the women will say, oh, you, we don't want them coming in. But you know what this law does? I'm saying all these laws which actually misguided women fight for actually work against them. Work against them. Doesn't work for them. Work for them. And that's where we have to look at how Deborah comes as the ideal woman in the picture. Okay, she's an ideal woman. She is the mother. She is the wife. And she speaks. She encourages. She, she accompanies uh, Barak. But she knows, I am not the one called to fight. He's the one called to fight. I am not the one called to lead. He's the one called to lead. And we need to understand, you know, that's where when we f- fall into the order, fit into the order God has called us, that's when we have liberty. That's when we have liberty. As long as we don't fit into the order, doesn't matter how successful we may be, we will be still miserable inside because we know this is not what we say in English, you are a, uh, you are a square peg in a round hole. You know, somewhere, yes, I'm fitting in nicely, but you will see there are so many gaps around. This is not how it was. And you will always struggle. So we go back. We will see. The commandments of God are there. Returning is coming back to the, coming back. If you want to return, we want to come back. We have to come back to what God says. You see here, God has said, even before they had stepped into the promised land, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 and verse 8, God had told them very, very clearly, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all. Why should I be strong and courageous to observe the law? Because everything in the world will be contrary to that. You will have to practically stand alone to obey the word of God. But the entire system will come in one way which will be against and laws will be passed which will be against. The entire culture will change. Right? As I told yesterday, culture does not cancel covenant. Okay, culture does not guess. We are a covenant people. Old covenant is a new covenant people. And no culture cancels, cancels covenant. The covenant overrules any culture. So you cannot bring culture over there. If you observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you, do not turn from it to the right hand, that is one ditch, or to the left, the other ditch, that you may prosper wherever you go. And what is that you have to do? How do you do this? Meditate upon my word day and night. Do not let it depart from your mouth. And do according to all that it is written. And that's the way. What happened to Israel? When they kept it, they prospered. When they fell away in it, God handled them. He took the protection off and they went into oppression. And oppression could be as long as, in this case, 20 years of oppression. What does it mean? Until we are tired and sick and tired of the bondage of sin, God is not going to move to deliver us. He's not going to move to deliver us. First we'll try to make, first we like to be under Jabin. Because Jabin seduces us and he gives you all free stimulus checks and everything else. Ah, it is good. If every week a check comes into my house, this is very good. After some time you will see he's giving you money with one hand and taking your freedoms away with the other. Your freedoms are going away. Your freedoms are going away. How does he take your freedom away? He will increase your tax. One hand he will give you money. The other hand he will start taxing you. 
And finally you realize that, you know what, I'm giving out more than I make. I can hardly survive on this. What is happening over there? But then you what? You cannot fight back because he has disarmed you. You know, that's what he did. There were no Philistine blacksmiths. Okay, like I said, the American War of Independence won, not just because of the army or the military, which are all basically simple people, farmers and all, but was, as they called, my black regiment. The black regiment were the pastors. They were there with the troops, and they motivated, encouraged them from the word of God to fight for what was right. But today what happened? The blacksmiths are gone. Blacksmiths was gone. Okay, like somebody was saying, in the last election, the people, the ones who were fighting for, where the, was the pew. The pulpits were silent. The pew came out fighting, this is our right. If these people win, they're going to take our liberty. But the pulpits were silent. The pastors were silent. The blacksmiths were taken out. They were compromised completely. When the pulpit is silenced, you will realize, each man will start doing what they think is right in their own eyes. And you go into oppression. And that's what is happening. And then the only way back is you have to come back. Come back the way of God. But remember, one of the things, you have to listen to the voice of God, you have to believe and you have to obey. We may fully never understand the ways of God. We don't understand because he says, as high is the heavens. We will never fully understand the ways of God. But we can bank on the integrity of God. There's a phrase theologians use with God. It's called immutability. Immutability means God never changes. His character, his will, or his covenant promises. He never changes. That is why we can always go back. Okay? Always go back. Why is Israel always, even after 20 years of sinning, when they turn back, why does God show mercy? Because that is his covenant with them. That's his covenant with them. Okay? He will never turn us. Even in your last breath, you cry out to God. If you are able to cry out to God, where your heart and mind have not been given over, you are still able to cry out to God. He still restores that's what he did with the thief on one side. That is his nature. That is his nature. And to demonstrate his power and to give us hope. One, to demonstrate his power. And to second, to give us all hope. You will see in the Bible, God almost always uses weak vessels. One, in a weak vessel, the power is demonstrated. Right? Second, it gives hope because most people are weak. Elite ruling from the top and most of the people are weak. They don't have power. They don't have money. They don't have influence. So it gives them hope when God, when you see uh, Abraham or an Isaac or a Jacob or a Joseph or a Moses or a Joshua, all fearful people, all fearful weak people. Everybody, if you look, anybody over there is a misfit. But God uses them and it gives us hope. Okay. And in this case, we are reading in Joshua, sorry, Judges chapter 4. It is two women. And in the culture they are living in, at that time they are living in, they are weaker than the women of today. Very weak. She's the only woman who is judging there. And a woman in the culture is naturally weak. And God uses two women. Right? The first woman here about there is Deborah. And she's a woman who knows her purpose. Okay? She knows her purpose. Why? Because she's a woman who prays. How do you know she's a woman who prays? Because somebody who does not pray can never prophesy. 
It is impossible to prophesy without praying. Everybody wants to be a prophet, but they don't have a prayer life. Before you can speak, you have to hear. You have to hear. So you will look into the prophet's life. Every prophet had a very powerful prayer life. That is what made them a prophet. They had a burden, they had a prayer life, they were intercessors, and therefore God could use their mouths to speak through them. So she's a woman who knows her purpose, she's a woman who prays, and therefore she prophesies. And if you look over there, she's full of God's word. In verse 6, you will see, she calls for Barak and said to him, has not the Lord of Israel commanded, go, Deploy troops at the Mount Tabor. She commands. The word of God commands us. Okay? She's full of the word of God, so when it comes from her mouth, it comes with authority. That's what the people said about the Pharisees and about Jesus. When he speaks, he speaks with authority. How can he speak with so much authority? The reason he has heard. Because he has heard in his early morning prayer with his father, this is what you need to speak. He speaks with authority. Okay, he speaks with authority, and then when there is a ministry, there is power. Authority and power are two different things. The Spirit of God gives us power. The Word of God gives us authority. We need both. Authority comes from the Word of God, and the uh, Spirit of God gives power. So she has to be a woman who knows the law, and therefore she has authority, and she prophesies. In verse 9, she uses the Word of God in judgment. I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the, in the journey. She's just a vessel. But the word of God, when it comes through, you know, it commands because it has authority. It also brings judgment to those who don't believe. She, she judges him straight up. I mean, she does not. Because that's what you need to realize. When the, you become a vessel of the word of God, you just speak what he says. And it is a judgment. You will not get honor this day. Victory will be there. But the honor won't be yours. And in verse 14, she is also able to Give hope by delivering. Barak up, for this is the day which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. She gives him the hope that comes from faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. She makes it very clear. We do not know how many days it took. But when the appointed time comes, she says, up, this is the day. Today is the day of deliverance. Okay, That's how the word of God should work in anybody. Okay, And that's what we need. Men and women full of the word of God. Okay? And she submits to the God who calls her and to his order because she realizes it is Barak who is chosen to lead, not her. She is there to encourage, to uplift, to intercede. That is why you see the three pictures of coming. We will look at for there are four things mentioned about her. She's a judge, She's a prophetess. Then there are other two words. She's a wife and she's a mother. She's a wife and she's a mother. And she brings all these four together. And when there is, the nation has to be led, she steps back and realizes, I am not the one to lead. You are the one to lead. Okay? And we will see over there, Barak says, no, will you come along? That's our words, yeah. Words three and four, if I'm right, you know? Unless you come along, yeah. <clears throat> said, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Take aside his fear, his insecurity, that alone. Take that aside, okay? But the principle behind, if you take it alone. What is the principle behind? There is a person 
let us say there are two people. Let us say husband and a wife. Or, or a leadership. Anything. There is one person you know who hears very clearly. Very clearly. Don't disregard that person. Even if that person is in a lower position than you. He says, you know what? I want you to come along with me. I want you to come along with me. You know why? Because I want to keep hearing. I want to keep hearing. Because the counsel of God doesn't stop once. He keeps on, like we know about Abraham. Take your son. He had to keep hearing. He heard on the first day, he heard on the third day, and then he heard on the mountain too. If he had gone only by what he heard on the first day, he would have lost his future. So there is, so supposing you are not able to hear, you hear, you know Barak had heard, but he did not fully believe. So now she says, commands him, and it's a confirmation. That's how prophecy should always be. Prophecy should be always confirmation. It should, you should not be led by prophecy. Prophecy should be confirmation. But when it confirms, you know what he says? Will you come along? The other side of it is that principle is that don't go anywhere without the Spirit of God accompanying you. Okay, but there is this principle. Okay, basically, because we have to look in the format. Like I said, the basic unit is a home. There is this principle, and the principle is seen in Ephesians five verses twenty-one and twenty-two. Submitting to one another in the fear of God, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So there is this submitting. Usually we only know 22, we don't look at 21. But the Bible says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And you will see both these principles in Genesis 3.17 and Genesis 21 verse 12. 3.17 He said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of, cursed is the ground for your sake. He says, you know what? The ground is cursed. Why? Because you heeded the voice of your wife over and above the voice of God. So what was cursed? His work was cursed. His ground was cursed. His ground was cursed. Okay. But if you come to Genesis 21 and verse 12, and God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your born. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. In this case, she's the one who's hearing. He's clouded with his emotions. Because that is his son, not hers. He's clouded with his emotions and he's not able to hear carefully. But Sarah is able to hear carefully. Therefore, he tells Abraham, listen to her. So the principle is that submit to one another in the fear of God. Okay, Adam submitted to the voice of his wife without the fear of God. Without the fear of God. Okay, and Abraham's emotions are so clouded, he's not able to hear God speak through his wife's voice. So we have to be very, very careful that we are balanced how we look at scripture because our ears have to be open to through whom God may speak. And this goes for jail true. Okay, remember in the book of uh, Judges uh, 4, she's a real heroine. It's not Deborah. Deborah is the one who is, like I said, because it fits with the feminist narrative. But actually, if you look into Deborah, she doesn't fit in with the feminist narrative. She fits in the biblical narrative. And they leave jail aside because jail is a little gruesome in what she does. But she's the real, real heroine. But if you look at the picture in Genesis, uh, Judges 4, God begins the work with one woman and finishes the work with another. If you come to verse 12, we are done till 10, 12 to, th- 12 to 13, 
we are going to have a full-scale battle is going to come. Okay? They reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinom, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him <coughs> from Harashet Hagem to River Kishon. So he is coming up. So they real. So far, nobody has rebelled. And now they heard. So usually what happens is, you know, you know oppressive regimes, China and all. When they see and they will crush with the iron fist that nobody dared. They will come out like what happened in Tiananmen Square and Hong Kong and all. No, They will crush with all their force to see. That's how they do. That's how the Roman Empire was. We only hear about Jesus' crucifixion because that's the only crucifixion that brought us salvation. But crucifixion was something invented by the Romans to show, show that nobody would dare rebel against the Roman Empire. You would have miles and miles and miles of miles of crosses with people crucified who tried to revolt against the Roman Empire. And they left them there. And crucifixion was specifically chosen because people died slowly. It would take sometimes hours, days for people to die. That's why they came to break their legs. Otherwise they left them like that so that nobody would dare. Fear is what was used. So he comes with all his soldiers and his 900 chariots. Those are the battle tanks of those days. Okay, he's deploying his entire army. He's coming with, with to create fear. He's come with his entire full scale, okay? And if you look at it, the odds are completely against the Israelites. Because we already saw yesterday, they had no sword, no spear, no shield. They're weaponless. They may have hidden a few here and there, but they are practically weaponless. No shields. They have chariots, they have iron armor, government, they have the blacksmiths, they have armor, they have chariots, they have horsemen, they have weapons, everything. We saw in 5.8, in the natural, they are poorly armed. They chose new gods and there was war in the gates, not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. Okay, now in these 40,000, no, only 10,000 are there. 30 is not even called. He's coming with 10,000 only. And they also don't have weapons. Well, these guys are full, like, powerful, powerful army. But what is that they have? Verse 14. The spiritual principles. 414, not 514, 414. Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So what is it? We have the word of God. That's why the Bible says the weapons of a warfare are not carnal. They are mighty in God. God will back up his word. Once you have received a promise, you have to move. You have to stand on it. So it doesn't matter what the enemy brings against you. The enemy has to never prevailed against the word of God or the spirit of God. They go together. That's why they have a promise and the God goes before you. So he'll never prevail. You have to stand your ground. And the whole idea of the enemy is to cause you to step away from the promise you have received. What God has spoken to you. Everything is created. Basically, you have to be very sure you have heard from the Lord and you are confirmed with scripture and you have the confirmation of the Holy Spirit. Once you have received it, stand your ground. If you look at it strategically, it is absolutely foolish. That's why I said, the wisdom of this world is foolishness for God. And the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom. I mean, no military guy will do this. 
No guy will do this. If you, I mean, if you have to think about it, okay? You have armor. This guy is the enemy. He has armor. They are soldiers. They have weapons. They have chariots. They have horses. And they are coming down the plains. And you are in the mountain. You know, one place the mountain, like, like I said, like, like I said, when you look at Indian warfare, India, we have two primary enemies, China on one side and Pakistan on one side. All the tank regiments are on the eastern frontier, Pakistan. There is no tank regiment on the other side because it's all mountains. So when we had the um, clash with China and the mountains, they had to airlift, after we took a few of the mountain points, they had to airlift tanks and put it there on the mountain so we have the upper hand of able to fire down. So you need to understand when you have chariots, advantage is the plains. And when you don't have chariots, advantage is the mountains. But God is telling you to do the opposite. You go down to them. No general would ever dare to do that because you are at a disadvantage. You have no chariots, you have no horses, you have no armor, you have no weapon, and it is their field. Down in the plains, they got it all, and you are asked to go there. That's what faith does. That's what faith does. Whenever God has spoken to you into battle, you will be absolutely sure it is God it is because all the odds will be against you. And it will defy human imagination. It will never fit in with human narrative. No general would ever dare to do this. This is what he always has done if you look through history. All the battles Israel has fought. But this is where it comes. Faith always obeys. It always obeys, even though it's batting, battling the impossible. And the impossible is possible only with God. Faith does not stand still. It always moves. So the Bible says, Barak went down. Barak went down. If you say you have faith and you're sitting still, it is not faith. It is just hope. And hope and faith are two different things. Hope will never replace faith. Okay. And God always will ask you to move. Okay. And move against the odds that are against you. It looks impossible. I'm telling you, it looks impossible. And God will always pick impossible situations. The Bible says God specifically chose the road, route, brought them, and brought them to the Red Sea, where there is no way they can escape. Mountains on both sides, Red Sea in the front, and the Pharaoh at the back. He brought them to a catch-22 situation, where otherwise they would have tried to flee in different directions. He brought them where they were boxed in. And then God says, now you will see what I will do. What I will do. Okay. Israel could have crossed River Jordan at any time, but he picked a time when the river, it was flooded. So it's flooded. The worst time possible. Overflowing its banks. And then he says, no boats, nothing. Let the priest carrying the ark go. Not free men who can swim, but people who cannot put the load down because it is the ark of the Lord. And then he said, not that you stand on the banks and say a mantra. No. You put your feet into, then only it will start moving. The water starts separating. Every time he does that. And faith has to move. Otherwise it will not work. All the hearing of the word of God, if it does not generate faith and the faith does not have a work according to what you have heard, it will still not make a way for you. We say God is a way maker. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for Barak to move down. Then he becomes the way maker. And he's waiting. God is waiting. We have to move. Okay. Bible doesn't say David stood still. The Bible says David ran towards Goliath. It says he ran towards Goliath. Okay. The Bible says Ehud stopped at Gilgal and then turned and went back. That's when the victory begins. The first trip was to pay the tribute. 
Second trip was to take, take the king off. And he went alone. He stopped at Gilgal. Remember the consecration God had made at Gilgal with the first generation, second generation. He turned back and he went back alone. Okay, so faith always moves. You need to understand. You advance in faith. And when you have faith, when you have the shield of faith, and you have the armor of God, then it doesn't matter what the enemy has. Because the enemy's weapons will not withstand what God has given us, the power of God. And verse 15 says, he put them to the edge of the And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak and Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. The problem is we have a word over saying, but the edge of the sword. So we'll immediately know all this. Microscopic people are there now who wants to find error. They had no sword. How did they put the edge of the sword? Okay, maybe they picked a few from the Philistines, but that's not the point. Okay? We have to look through scripture. How do we reconcile these two? They put to the edge of the sword, and also we say that they were poorly armed. Go to chapter 5, verses 19 to 22. Okay? 5. Because why are we looking at it? Because so that we learn how to fight our battles. Okay, don't look at yourself, don't look at your strength, look to the Lord, look to the word, look at the promises, and then when you step in faith, God will start fighting. The kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought in Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. This is the first battle at Megiddo, and after that there will be many, many battles at Megiddo will finally end at the battle of Armageddon. And the same battle here, Napoleon also fought, and he won. So this is a huge, this is a, this is a battlefield which will be always famous in history. The most famous battle is yet to come in the future. Okay? They took no spoils of silver. They came thinking about winning, but what happened? They fought from the heavens, the stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away, the ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. Oh my soul, march on in strength. Then the horses who pounded the galloping, the galloping of his steeds. What happened? What happened? Okay, it says stars, and we know the angels are called stars. And uh, Satan was also uh, the, mo- the fallen star and the morning star, and Jesus is also the morning star. Okay, so you have stars, so you need the angelic host got involved, God got involved. What happened is that interesting is Baal is the god of rain and lightning and thunder and all, and God says that fellow is just a fool, fake. God released the heavens. He opened up the heavens with floods, rains, lightning, thunder, everything. And suddenly the advantage became disadvantage. The entire area got flooded. And they couldn't move. The chariots got stuck. The horses cannot move. And the soldiers in heavy armor cannot move. And the light Israelites could move very well. The terrain became turned to their advantage. What happens? God intervenes. And that's what God's saying. When I intervene, you step by faith when I intervene. Your, what you thought your disadvantage actually becomes your advantage. Okay? All, like people will always say, all of them looked at Goliath and said, my God, he's a giant. How will we overcome him? David looked at him and said, you know what? I can never miss. The target is too big. There's no way I can miss him. Very clear target. If it had been a small fellow, I could have missed him. But this fellow, there's no way to miss him. 
Okay, it turns into your advantage. You always have to realize. Don't look at the odds are against you. With God, the odds are always for you, always for you, and that's what happened. The whole thing opened up, and it was a death trap for Sisera and his army. Exodus twenty-three verses twenty-seven. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. Exodus 14:23 to 28. You will see this in throughout their history whenever they believed. The Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. All the Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. Imagine in your mouth two walls. It's not one 10 meters is over a mile or two or three miles apart because they calculated if 3 million people have to cross through the night, how many were shoulder to shoulder? They said minimum 5,000. So you are not talking about a small way he made. He made a highway. Okay, it was a highway with the cattle and carts and everything. Okay, so that they got in. The Egyptians followed. He took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. You see, God can change the same. See, when the, Egypt, the Israelites were marching, it was solid ground. When the Egyptians started moving, I believe the water started seeping up. Started coming up. And now what happens? You look at that. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea and the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Okay. If you look at it, this is what God always has done. First Samuel chapter 7 verses 10 to 11. We have to read this and we have to believe when we go to God, he will fight for us. And Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued. They did not come anymore into the territory of Israel and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Can I have 10 and 11 too? This is 7, 10 and 11. That's what I wanted to look here. Yeah. Now, as Samuel was offering the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below. So you will see that God uses all these things in those battles. He uses rain, he uses thunder, he uses the sea. All the elements are at his disposal. First Samuel 14 and verse 20. Another battle. And Saul and all the people who were with him assembled and they went into battle. Indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor and there was great confusion. They realized, you know what, remember, only Saul and Jonathan, had, there are only two swords in the camp. But they only didn't even need the two. The Philistines are cutting each other's throat off. That is how God puts through. That's why we pray these prayers. Confusion in the ranks of the enemy. They will turn against one another. They will not trust another and they will fear God and his people. He, his fear will go before us. These are the principles of spiritual warfare. You don't know this. You look at this and this is not physical for us. This is spiritual. And that's why we keep on saying it. And God says, you believe in my word. You believe in my word that I haven't changed. I haven't changed. I'm the same God yesterday, today and forever. 
And you realize, David cut off Goliath's head with Goliath's sword. So when we look at verse 15, we will see 4, 15, 16, you will see everyone was set to the edge of the sword. And Sisera, the captain, right, alighted from his chariot and he fled away on his foot. The, the general is running because the chariot is not moving. He is running. And all the troops were killed. When you come to verse 17, however, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent. Why did he flee? Because the word of God will never fail. Because he doubted. God spoke through Deborah and said, the honor will belong to a woman. The word of God still has to be. Even though, let us say, he had 50,000 soldiers. 50,000 soldiers fell by the sword, but this man will not. Because God's word will still come true. This is not for any man. This is for a woman. Why? Because you did not believe. This man, the leader, is not for any man. The leader, the general, is for a woman. Because if you do not go, come with me, I will not go. She said, I will come with you. But I will tell you, the honor will go to a woman. So it's meant to be yours. But because you are fearful, I will come with you to encourage you. But the honor will. So you will see, the word of God will always come to pass. It will always come to pass. Okay? From there, when we read, okay, Fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. Now we'll come to the gory part. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink and covered him. Then he said to her, stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, is there any man here, you shall say, no. And Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand, went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple, and he went down into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. Okay, so this is the gory part. Okay, that's why you don't have to watch Hollywood movies, everything is there. In the Bible, whatever you want, it is there. Okay. So let us look at this because this is a major issue for people. Because somebody comes to your house for refuge and then you deceive and kill him. How do you reconcile? Because you ultimately reconcile all these things in your mind with God, truth, righteousness, everything, right? So let us, that's why I left one, I skipped from 10 to verse 12. Let's go to verse 11 first. Now, Heber the Kenite, remember, this is, these are the people of Moses' father-in-law. Kenite, who followed with, them, followed them, remember? The children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebin tree at Zanim, which is Behazad. He broke away from the tribe. First understand, first thing. He broke away from the tribe and moved on his own. You come to verse 17. What does he do? He makes a pact with Jabin, the king of Hazor. He breaks away from his tribe and makes his own personal peace with the enemy. Okay, are you getting it? Now you go to Exodus 23 and verse 32. The law for God's people, whether you are part of Israel or joined with Israel, you shall make no covenant with them nor with their gods. The Kenites have made no covenant. One fellow broke away from and made his personal peace with the enemy. Okay? Now we go back to 
Ephesians 5.22 and Colossians 3.18, the principle. Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. Colossians 3.18. 3 verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Here jail is like Abigail. She is endangering her own life actually for the good of her husband and for her family. Husband has made a boo-boo. Remember Abigail? Husband made a boo-boo. I will take who cares about that fellow and all. And David said, really? I'm going to take this fellow's head off. Okay. She has no clue her husband is going to die and David is going to marry. She's not doing any of those things. She's running to save her husband's life and her home. So she immediately gets her servants, get all the food, goes, falls at his feet and said, Lord, don't do this. Why do you want to? God will make you a king anyway. Don't need to have the blood of your own brother on your sword. And he was very impressed by his wisdom. What happened is 10 days later, the fellow had a heart attack and he died. But she was, was she submitting her husband? Yes, in the Lord. In the Lord. She knew, you know what? My husband has made a big boo-boo over here. What I need to do is protect him and save my family. Protect him and save my family. In this case, she also realized her husband has gone off the tribe, made his personal pact with this, with the enemy. Now what I need to do is that I need to do, deal with the enemy myself. So this is something which we tell, you know, I'm many, many times when we had to counsel sisters in so many different places as you tell them, your husband doesn't believe, he's an alcoholic, he does these things. What you need to is that you need to fight the enemy, not your husband. You fight the enemy. You fight the enemy so that your husband can be protected and set free. You fight the enemy. Don't fight your husband. You fight the enemy. You know what she's doing? She's not fighting her husband. She's fighting the husband's enemy. She knows that fellow who he has befriended, alcohol whom he has befriended, is actually his enemy. The spirit of addiction, the spirit of the enemy behind. Fight the enemy. Don't fight your husband. Protect, you're actually fighting the right fight. And that's what she does. In verse 18, not here, Judges 4, 18. We will see something there. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside, do not fear. And when he had uttered, turned aside into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. If you go to Genesis 24, 67, 24, 67, you will see it. Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. Old age. The wives had their own separate tents. Husband and wife did not live in one tent. One of the reasons could be because polygamy, multiple wives, or whatever, they had their own tents. The husband had his own tents. Sarah had his own tent. I mean, think about it for your practical purpose. Think about it. When Hagar was taken, you think Sarah was kicked out and Hagar was brought in. No, Hagar had her own tent. Sarah had her own tent. Rebecca had her own tent. Okay, so Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. That was a woman's tent. Okay, so that's why she said, come here. It's a woman's tent. Nobody will look for you here. Nobody will look for you here. Come here and hid him. Nobody will look for you here. And if anybody comes and asks, he says, you stand at the door if you ask if any man has come here. Okay. Understand culture. Ask, say no man, and nobody will get into a woman's tent and look. 
Usually that's okay, nobody is there. They will look in the men's tents. They will not look in a women's tent. That's what's happening here. Okay. And she fed him nicely. But we do not, what we don't realize is God is setting the trap. God is setting the trap. If you look at verse 19 and 20, she gives him milk. Okay, he asked for water, but she gives him milk. Okay, and covered him. And God is setting. He said to her, stand at the door of the tent. And if any man comes and inquires of you, say, is there any man here? You shall say, no. If you look at the whole picture, Joel had, or Jael, not Joel, Jael had no weapons of warfare. All she had was a tent peg and a hammer. And that's all God asks each one of us. What is that you have? Her arms were strong. And she had used that hammer and peg probably a thousand times each time they moved the tent. Okay, so it is not a random thing. This is something our hands are good at. Dorcas was good at with a needle and thread which would bring forth her resurrection. Jael was good at hammering. What is that? Setting up tents, setting up tents, moving. She's good at that. David was good at a sling. What is that you have? And are you good at it? Have you worked at it? It's all God is asking. I will use it for the deliverance of my people when the time and the hour comes. Just stay at it. Don't give up. And don't discard that gift either. It may look so mundane, such such useless. But when the time and the hour comes, when you have handed over in the hands of God, it will bring deliverance. And if you look at verse 21, right? When she does it, she does it with all her strength. She used everything that was at her disposal. Remember when we looked at Ehud, sorry, Shamgar? The principle is to say, start where you are. Don't go look at here and start where you are. Use what you have and do it with all your strength. Where did she start? In her tent. What did she use? A hammer and a peg. What did she do with all her strength? Such strength that the peg went into the ground through his head. And that's a simple principle God says about how you serve me. Wherever you are, serve me. With whatever you have, serve me. And do it with all your strength. All your strength. And he says, your reward will be as, as the one who has done a great thing with great things. But the reward is the same. Why? Because you did with what you had. He did with what he had. Simple principles. Okay. If you go to chapter 5, you will see in verse 25 and 26, 27. She asked for water. She gave milk. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. What did she do? She's, she's, a, she's a wise woman. Okay. This man has tired. He's been running through the mud. And he's reached. He's panting. He's scared. He's fearful. He knows all the soldiers are dead. He got in. He asked for water. She gives him milk. And how did she do? She lulls him into complacency. She gives him not in his very nice. She brought out the best china out for him. Out for him. And gave him. So that you know what? He does not suspect her. There's no doubt. You are not wary at all. She absolutely wins his confidence. Okay? Then she stretched her hand to the ten peg. Her right hand to the workman's hammer. So, 
the earlier case, Yehud is left-handed. She is right-handed. So God uses left-handed men, right-handed woman. God says, I have no issues with women. Don't say, oh, I am left-handed. How can God? God says, I can use you. Oh, I am a right-handed woman. God says, I can use you. She pounded Sisera. She pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. She's not a weakling. I'm not talking about physical strength. She's a very strong... See, Deborah is a very strong woman. Joel is a very strong woman. That's what we talk about. We don't want weak men in this, weak women in these last days. We want strong women. But women will become strong in God's kingdom only when they know their order. What happens with men and women in 21st century? They all want to be stallions on the mountaintop. They are good for nothing. They are free birds. Loose electrons just floating around. They do nothing. Must be their favorite. You take this stallion and you take another horse or stallion with a rider on top of it and put both of them in the race. The rider, the one with the rider will always win. We think this fellow will win. No, he will not win because he has never been, what we say, broken. So in the kingdom of God, submission is not weakness, it is strength. In the kingdom of the devil, submission is weakness. Because the devil has never submitted to anybody, refuses to submit. You know, And when a man submits to God, he becomes strong. You know why Barak is weak? Though he has heard, he has not yet submitted. You know why Deborah is strong? Because she has heard, but she will not lead. You know, he has to lead, therefore she is strong. In the kingdom of God, that's how it works. And lot of men and lot of women are not used by God because men will not submit to what God has told them and they will not lead. They will not lead. And women have heard, but they will not submit. And they will take off. And for some time, the devil will give you lots of victories. <laughs> because he likes men and women like that. You know? And after some time, you will realize you are going nowhere. You are going nowhere. Okay? She Bounded Sisera, she pierced his head, she split and struck through his temple. And verse 27. At her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. Implication is that he tried to rise. But she didn't give him a chance. <laughs> he didn't give a chance. Because she must be very, she must be, I mean, those days these generals are massive. He must have been a giant. Which massive fellow he must have been. Okay, but she didn't give any chance at all for him to write. She finished him off. If you turn with me to Joshua chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, and verse 15, and then verse 15. It happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark. This is in Jericho, Roma, the two spies. The men went out. And when the men went out, where the men went out, I do not know. She's telling the king's soldiers who came to check whether those two men who came, you want them. They have come to spy the land. For quickly for you may overtake them. But she brought them up to the roof and hidden them with stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. And verse 15. Then she let down by a rope through the window, for a house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. You see what Rehab did and where Jael did in principle was the same. What did Rehab do? She hid God's men and told them they are not here. Not here. And then let them down a rope. What did Jael do? She covered him nicely with a blanket and when he fell asleep, she killed him. But both were serving God. And both were technically not believers. Who had 
not part of the group. Okay. So it is the same faith of Rehab that Jael has. And that's why we keep on talking about faith. If you don't bring faith into anything you do for God, it will not please him. And the power of God will not flow. So if you pray, you have to bring faith in. If you work, you have to bring faith in. If you speak, you have to bring faith in. Everywhere faith has to come in. If faith does not come in, God is not pleased. Okay. That verse 22, right? 522. Or 422. Yeah, 422. 422. Yeah. Judges 4.22, right? This is how Spurgeon is supposed to have said. Jabin, the king, is a type of Satan. Sisera is besetting sin. We should not be content in defeating sin, but must see sin has slain by Jesus on the cross. Therefore, we not only overcome sin, but we are dead to sin. That's what she is doing. She is just not overcoming sin. She is nailing it onto the ground. Romans 6, verse 10 and 11. For death that he died, he died to sins once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Yeah, verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is not enough to overcome sin. He says it's not overcome. You have to strike it through the head and consider it dead each day. This one part of it, overcoming sin, grace reigns over sin. That's not enough. He says you have to be like jail. Sisera represents sin, besetting sin. And she is not willing to wound him or disable him. She's destroyed, has decided she's going to destroy him. So God says each day, reckon yourself, consider yourself dead to sin. So the real heroine of the story is a simple girl. Okay, as we close and before we go to, go to the word, uh, to prayer. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 20. Adab or Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. This is one of Cain's descendants. Was famous. He was known as the first tent maker. And all the tent makers and nomads take their name from Jabal. But he's cursed. And his generations will die in the flood. Judges 5 and verse 24. But there is somebody who is a tent, lives in tents. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. So you can have the same profession. Ultimately, it's not the profession what defines you. What did you do with that profession? So here is one, he is known as the father of tent makers and tent dwellers. He is cursed and his generations are cursed. And here is a woman who is also lives in tents. But she is called the blessed among women. And she is blessed is she among women in tents. You know why? Because she used her tent to bring deliverance 
for the people of God. So it's not your profession that matters. It's what you do with your profession. What you do with your profession. Have you brought deliverance? Have you used your profession? Allow God to use you in your profession to bring deliverance in the kingdom of God. This is what God asks. Last couple of verses. Judges 4.9 because I want to finish Judges 4 today. She said, surely I will, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are ta- taking. The Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Lack of faith in defining moments of life will cost you. Keep that in your mind. There are certain defining moments in everybody's life. At that time, if you draw back, it will cost you. It will cost you. It would cost Barak the glory that would have been always attached to him in Israel's history. He defeated the Canaanites and he defeated, he brought the head of Sisera back. But that did not happen. David did. He defeated the Philistines and brought Goliath's head back. That should have been the glory. That's when the women sang. David has killed this. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed this. Why did they attribute 10,000? Because Goliath's head was equal to 10,000. But Barak does not have it. You know why? Because at a defining moment in his life, his faith failed him. Exodus 4, verses 14 and 16. Principle will apply to any man. God is irrespective about it. doesn't matter how big you are. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he's also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him, put the words in his mouth. I'll be with your mouth and be with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be a spokesman to the people and he himself shall be as a mouth for you and you shall be to him as God. The glory was taken from Moses and the destruction of the first generation began there. That's why they listened to Aaron and Aaron listened to them and made a calf. You know why? Because Moses couldn't directly speak to them. He always had to speak through Aaron. And therefore, for in their eyes, who was the leader? Aaron was the leader. You know why? Because at a defining moment in his life, he backed off and says, I cannot speak. Send somebody else. God finally got angry and said, if that's what you want, I will send somebody else. But you will go along. Like Deborah went along. Moses went along. Moses, you speak to Aaron. Aaron will speak to the people. Okay, so you need real, you need to realize you cannot. It doesn't matter who you are, how great you are. God does not make concessions for lack of faith, because unbelief is what keeps people out of the kingdom. The Bible, Jesus said, "He who does not believe is already condemned. Already condemned. Okay, already. This is not condemnation in this case as judgment, but judgment. Yes, he lost glory." And one more in the New Covenant. Luke chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. And the angel answered and said to him, this is Zacharias, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. How many months? Nine months or ten months, we do not know. Think about what can a priest do if he's mute? For 10 months, your priestly function will stop. 
because you will not be able to minister to anybody. You know why? Because you did not believe. This should have been the 10 months of your glory. And I will take it away from you because at this moment you refused to believe. Refused to believe. You looked at the impossibilities. You did not look at the possibility with God. How can that be? I am old. My wife is old. Mary didn't say that. She said, how is it I have not man? But she says, I don't understand. And she says, let it be unto me according to God's word. And this is where it comes. We don't look at impossibilities because if you look into the world and how things are changing so fast, everything looks impossible for the church. But the believing church never knows the word called impossible. Everything seems to be in the hands of the enemy. Every dispensation, every, every, what you call government, everything is hands of the enemy. It looks the church has no way, but that's when the church has to arise. And when men and women of faith has to arise, they know their order, they know their call, they know profession, they know what it is for. You may be a tent dweller or you may be sitting under a tree. It does not matter. The tree becomes the tree of Deborah. It is known by her name. And the tent of Jael is where the enemy is going to be destroyed. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you are. Each one knows his plan. Each one knows his purpose. And like Shamgar, where you are with what you have. With all your strength. And you know what? God will deliver. It is God who fights. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Battle belongs to the Lord. He will bring forth. And we still, that's why I always keep saying, when I read the Bible, I believe it 100%. It doesn't have to happen in my life for me to believe it. Because he has said it, he has written it, I believe. There is nothing impossible with God. All these things, I am not a cessationist. I am asking God to do new things. What has not happened in the Bible also go ahead and do. The Bible could not. The Bible says in the end of John, if all the books in the, in the world were written, the kind of things which Jesus did could not be written. So there are so many things we do not know which Jesus did. And there are so many things Jesus is going to do which the world has not seen yet. And we do not limit. The only way we limit God in our lives, in our churches, in our homes, is by our unbelief. And like it says in Psalm 70, they shortened his hand by his unbelief. So there are two things over here. One is the commandments of God. Go by God's word. Don't try to negotiate with the culture. The culture will say all kinds of things. Don't listen to it. Go by God's word. Obey it. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Second, listen to the voice of God. The living voice of God. The prophetic voice of God. When God speaks to it, get ready. Go to fight. It does not matter how big the enemy is, what your position is. And God is calling into a position where it looks, it's unreasonable, totally defeat is guaranteed. But you know you have heard, move in there and you will see God will start fighting on your behalf. He will not fight. When he tells you to go to the valleys, he will not fight for you if you stand on the mountain. If he tells you to go to the mountain, he's not going to fight for you if you stand in the valleys. Elijah was told to do the exact opposite. He was called to go to the top of the mountain and the whole nation is against him. But at the mountain, he alone stands and he wins. Barak is called to go from the mountain and down into the, the valleys. Because when you're on that mountain and you have 500, 600, 700 prophets of Baal and the king and his army, you cannot run to escape. <laughs> if you're down in the valley, you can hide under some thicket or bush, but you are right there. There's no way you can run. You are surrounded by everybody and everybody is hostile or no opinion. You're sticking out like a sore thumb on the top of the mountain. That's where God put you. And God says, this is where you will fight this battle on the top of the mountain. You're not going down. And when he goes down, he goes down to destroy the prophets of Baal. Well, Barak goes down from the mountain, he also destroys the armies of Sisera. 
And that's how we fight this battle. So this morning when we get into prayer, we come with faith. And we believe God has never changed like he's immutable. He never changes. His ways never changes. His order never changes. His power never changes. And his covenant never changes. And it doesn't matter how far people have gone back. 20 years of oppression, 40 years of oppression, it does not matter. If you turn back to him, he will turn back to us. That is his covenant. We are covenant people. We are covenant people. No, we are covenant people. And therefore the power of the covenant is there. You turn back, God will turn back. Honey, come. We'll sing a song and then pray through our God, we shall do valiantly. Come. Yep, those are where all the songs have come. These are not just songs we sing, these are experience. Yeah, of God's people throughout history. To our God, we shall valiantly. It is He who will tread down our enemies. We will say and shout the victory. Christ is King. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. It's through our God, O oh Lord. Only through you we can do valiantly, Lord. That's what your word says, O oh Lord. To be armed with the power of God. The power of your Holy Spirit. Whatever the enemy does, he has no answer to the Spirit of God. That's why the cry from around the world, from all our churches and all the people who write this, Lord, fill us with the Holy Spirit. But there was no answer to the Spirit of God. For the Spirit of God Himself is a man of war. When He moves, nothing can stop Him. Nothing can stop Him. Who can stand before the Spirit of God? Who has contended against the Spirit of God and won? Today we continue to pray, Lord. The answer, the answer is, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your power. Give us the discernment of the Spirit. Open our ears, unclog our ears that we may hear the voice of the Holy Spirit for now, for today. For you are the counselor. You are the guide. You are the one who will lead us. You are the one who goes before us. You are the one who fights for us. That's why Lord, your servant prayed, open our eyes that we might know you are, what you are. The exceedingly glorious riches of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. The working of His great power. The very power that raised Jesus up from the dead and seated Him on the highest place. The Word of God says in Romans 8, the very Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will quicken our mortal bodies. He is in us. And those who are led by the Spirit are the sons, the daughters of the living God. And we saw, Lord, what God could do with three people. Three weak people, two women and a weak man. All three weak. For your word calls women weak a vessel. And this was a weak man. Three weak people. God used them and destroyed the power of the Canaanites. Their army, their foot soldiers, their horsemen, their chariots, God joined the battle. And that's the word you are speaking to all the churches, especially in U.S. Do not fear. 
stand firm keep moving and see the deliverance of the lord these enemies you see today they won't be there for too long you will see them no more they will all go god will take them out one by one one by one he is taking them out he is taking them out many many will die in the days to come nobody will have to do anything they will die by their own sword they will die by their own sword because god is causing confusion in the ranks of the enemy as they gather in those wicked habitations to get power from demons god is destroying them with their own swords you will not have to use your hand you will have not have to use do anything just stand there in the gap build the wall stand in the bridge continue praying in the spirit god will do the rest they will devour each other with their own swords he will create confusion among the enemy they will fight among themselves the church of god will stand there and watch the deliverance god will bring forth and i pray father touch touch your people wherever they are let them believe for everything the word of god is true it has never lost its power it has never lost its intent you are the healer your word still heals it is written lord i sent forth my word and healed you of your infirmities psalm 107 verse 20 it doesn't matter how far you have gone your word says i'm the lord who forgives all your iniquities and heals you of all your diseases wherever you are in the icu or at home trust god and believe for your healing believe as we pray from here allow the word of god and the spirit of god to touch your bodies and heal you of your deformities of your infirmities whatever it is doesn't matter what it is to god he said all your diseases he didn't say some or many or most he said all it doesn't matter what the doctor said and god for doctors but what has god said stand on the promises of god today if you are under oppression believe in your deliverance you are a child of god you cast it out and we will agree with you i take authority in the name of jesus of nazareth and i command every demonic entity in the bodies and the minds of anybody who is listening now i command it to leave in jesus name yes every demonic entity whether it has taken place is taken space in your body or in your mind in the form of an idea or an ideology i cast it down in jesus name and i elevate the word of god in your minds let the spirit of god bring to your remembrance the word that you have heard lift lift the word of god god has already magnified his word above everything else you magnify god's word the holy spirit will bring into your remembrance with what you are struggling he will give you the word for that and that you will cast down that argument that argument is demonic it will cast down that argument that imagination is demonic he will cast down that imagination and exalt the word of god today for whom the son sets free is free indeed and he says if you abide in my word and the word abide in you the truth will set you free the word of god is truth set people free today baptize them with the holy spirit 
and those who struggle with memory, bring them to the remembrance of Lord, the word they have read, the word they have heard. Let faith arise in the body of Christ, O Lord, everywhere. Faith arise, O Lord. Let healings take place, O Lord. Let deliverance take place, O Lord. Let people stand there valiant, men and women stand there strong, willing to fight for their turf, O Lord, willing to fight for their homes, willing to fight for their churches, willing to fight for their nations, O Lord. And not be fearful. For you have not given us the spirit of fear. But you have given us the spirit of power. And of love. And of sound mind. We are not fighting flesh and blood. We are fighting for flesh and blood.